Praise the Lord. I'm going to start in John chapter 16 this evening. This is healing school, and of course we uh, endeavor to minister along the lines of healing, faith and healing at uh, all of our about the Holy Ghost. I think it's verse 26. Yeah, there it is. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. The Lord began dealing with me some years ago on trusting the Holy Ghost to guide me. Now, when we talk about being led by the Holy Ghost or guidance, divine guidance by the Spirit, I automatically think of how to be led by the Holy Ghost according to the teachings that I learned from Brother Hagin and different services that I heard him speak and minister along those lines. And his sermons and his um, services were always trained or pointed to the Word. So I immediately start thinking about being led by the inward witness and other ways that the Holy Ghost might lead us, of course. But when Jesus called the Holy Ghost the Comforter, that word is translated helper in most translations. It means more than that, but it certainly does mean helper. And there have been some things in my life that I've realized that I have not been trusting the Holy Ghost or relying on the Holy Ghost. They said it that way. I don't want to make it seem like I didn't trust him. But there are areas in my life that I realize that I have not relied on the help of the Holy Ghost like I should. Now, the Holy Ghost is a perfect gentleman. If you don't ask him for help, he won't impose or, or butt in. He won't override your will. It becomes something that you have to seek out the help of the Holy Ghost. You begin to speak that I have the help of the Holy Ghost. And that's the only way you can get him to help you. Otherwise, he'll let you make your own decisions. It, it's kind of like if you see somebody going down the wrong path, but they don't ask for help. A lot of times trying to give them help makes them mad at you. So many times in those situations, we see people going off into uh, difficulties, bringing themselves bringing difficulties upon themselves. And you know you can't say anything. You just have to watch and let people learn by their own mistakes. Well, I began several years back concerning this uh, diagnosis that I received. I began early on talking to the Holy Ghost about guiding me into the reality of healing. Here where it says in John 16, 13, he'll guide you into all truth. That word truth is the word reality. So I began seeking the help of the Holy Ghost, actively seeking the help of the Holy Ghost. I want to put that word in there to make sure that you understand what I'm saying. We can be passive about things and think that they're working, but they're not because we don't put our faith on it. You have to actively put your faith on what you want God to do for you. Or else he's a perfect gentleman, as I said, and he'll let you go in your own way. If you can do it by yourself, he won't help you indiscriminately. But if we rely on him, if we call for his help, seek his help and his guidance, then it comes. Now, there's, there are scriptures which I have committed to long before I received any medical diagnosis of anything or ever went to the doctor about the uh, current situation and, and that type of stuff. And, it, it, and I, I don't know why I'm beating beat around the bush about it. You all know that, uh, that the doctors diagnosed me with Parkinson's disease. And there are a lot of facets to it. There are a lot of symptoms that, are, that, that would seem unrelated or did seem unrelated to me. But there's just a whole lot that goes into it. And, and I think, uh, not speaking disparagingly of the medical community, but I think a lot of times they don't know what the, um, 
the fullness or the totality of Parkinson's does. So anything that happens while you're under a diagnosis of Parkinson's, they just say that's part of the symptoms. There's really not a whole lot that they know about it. And so as a result, about the only thing they can do is throw medication at you and try to get the medication balanced in such a way that you can still have some kind of quality of life and, and so forth. And that's what they tried to do with me the, uh, the, uh, when I first went to the first neurologist that I went to. I've been to four. Found one good one out of the four. But, um, but that's, what they, uh, that's what the first one did. And I wound up taking about two doses of the medication and then quit because of the effect that it had on my, um, well, not just my brain, but everything. It just put, kind of put me in a stupor. Some people weren't able to tell, but I knew the difference. And, uh, and so I just quit. I thought there's no way in the world. I'm not looking for the doctor to heal me anyway. I'm not looking to be healed by medicine. But if this is the best they have to offer, then forget it. I'll just stick with God and his word. And so there were some things along the way, as I said, because I began to actively trust the Holy Ghost to guide me into reality or into all truth. I began to say, I began to speak and confess that the Holy Ghost guides me into the reality of my healing. Now, folks, you would understand or you would expect, maybe that's a better way to say it, you would expect that with all the sermons you've heard me preach and teach on healing and faith in God and so forth, why would I need help with that? And it's not so much help to find out what the Bible says, but there were things that he did along the way, three or four specific things that the Holy Ghost has done over the last several years that's made all the difference in the world to me. Now, one of the passages of Scripture that I've uh, committed to memory a long time ago and have been confessing daily, as I said, even before any medical diagnosis came along, is uh, Psalm 91, the last two verses, verses 12, 13, 14. And it says something like this. It says, because he has set his love upon me, I will deliver him. Because he has known my name, I will set him on high. When he calls upon me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I'll deliver him and I'll honor him. And then the 14th verse is the one everybody knows. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, folks, that may not be the way that it reads in your translation of the Bible. Because I've personalized that. And one of the things that made a difference there is, and, and this was in the early years, probably six years ago. There were a couple of years uh, after I first went to, the, or went to that first neurologist that I wasn't even trying to find any medical help. I just thought, well, if that's it, he must be as good as anybody else out there. So I didn't get anything from that, so just forget it. So sometime within those first couple of years, just as I woke up in the morning, and it, it happens this way with me, um, well, I hate to use the word frequently because I don't want to give people the idea that it happens all the time. But it's not unusual for me to get something from the Lord. First thing is I wake up. Brother Hagin used to talk about that place between asleep and awake. Well, I, I don't know how to relate to it any better than that. But just as I was uh, waking up in the morning, the Lord spoke something to me. The Holy Ghost spoke something to me. Now, now remember, John told us that he doesn't speak of himself, but what he hears that he speaks. Well, what's he going to hear? The only thing his ears are open to are the words of God. So when he speaks, he's going to speak the word of God. He's not going to speak of himself, but he will bring to remembrance the things that God has said to us. And so it was very simple. It was just a sentence fragment, wasn't even a whole scripture. 
but he knew that I knew what the scripture said and where it was. And he said this. He said it personalized the opposite of the way that I used to say it. See, when I say it, I talk about God's love set on me. But he said it this way. He said, because you've set your love on me. And that was it. Not even the whole verse. The, the, whole, the, the, uh, the entire verse is because he set his love upon me, I will deliver him. Well, there was something about that that just branded into my heart. It brought me such joy for God to acknowledge that I did love him. You know, there are things that, uh, that the devil will try to use against us. And I think Keith Hershey preached a little bit on this uh, last Sunday while we were gone. Along the same lines, same parallels perhaps. But when God acknowledges that you've done something right, or that you are doing something right, or you're in the right position, however you want to say it, that has always, in my experience, brought me a tremendous amount of joy. It's like I'm trying to do the best that I can. I'm trying to do everything I know to do to serve God and so forth. But when the Lord tells you you've done it, you, you've, you've, made the, the, uh, you've come into the place that you are aiming for, that did tremendous things for me. Just that little phrase, because you've set your love upon me. I've been living off that ever since. Now, a couple of years went by. I'm still believing, still confessing. For the help of the Holy Ghost, Him guide me into all reality and so forth. A couple of years went by, and just as I was waking up in the morning, a portion of Psalm 103 came to me by the Holy Ghost. Now, those are scriptures that I've committed to memory as well. Those are part of my confessions. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of His benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeems thy life from destruction and crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Well, this time, when I, just as I was waking up, the Holy Ghost said, and I, I hope you know I'm speaking, uh, using that word loosely. It's not like it was words, but it communicated to me that I will redeem your life from destruction. Again, he didn't give me the whole verse. The whole verse is, I'll redeem thy life from destruction, or he who redeems thy life from destruction and crowns thee with loving kindness and tender mercy. Well, I've been living on that ever since, too. It was something, of, there's just something about the Holy Ghost speaking to your own heart. Even if it's something you know, even if it's something like in my case that I was confessing, it just made it special. It made it real. Now, these are steps, or I'm going to call them steps. These, I believe, are steps into being guided into the reality of healing. Now, why the Lord wanted to emphasize those two things specifically to me at that point in time, I have no idea. I'm cautious to say, but I believe this can be verified. The things that we put in our hearts, the word that we confess, not because God gave it to us, but just because his word is true. Those are things that the, word, that the Holy Ghost has to draw from our spirits, from our hearts, to speak them back to us. And when he speaks them back to us, at least in my experience, it's carried so much more weight and it's brought so much more joy. See, I can confess any of these verses anytime that I want to and I can get excited because I know God's word is true. But when the Lord speaks them to you, there's a power associated with that. 
there's a, a calmness and assurance that comes in that way. Well, again, I went along for a couple of years, didn't hear anything more from the Holy Ghost. And then just as I was waking up about a year and a half ago, I guess, something like that, just as I was waking up in the morning, this time the Holy Ghost didn't speak to me, but I had two dreams, just instantaneous, one right after the other. The first dream was the Lord speaking to me, saying, I will lift the burden off your shoulders. And then the second dream, I, I have a hard time describing it, but I was in one setting for the first dream and I was in a different setting for the second dream and they both happened within two seconds. The second dream, the Lord said, and I, the first one, I'll lift the burden off your shoulders. The second was, and I'll take the yoke off your neck. Now, folks, I didn't know where that verse was. It sounded familiar, but I didn't know where that verse was. And so I went searching for it. It didn't take me long to find it, but it's in Isaiah chapter 10. I believe it's verse 27. And the entirety of the verse, or the, the last half of the verse, is one that, uh, that Brother Hagin used to speak of and quote all the time. Not the first part, but the last part. The verse goes something like this. I will lift the burden off your shoulders and take the yoke off your neck. And the last half of the verse is, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Well, folks, I heard that from Brother Hagin millions and millions of times. That was one of his go-to things because of the anointing that he had upon him, the healing anointing that God had given to him. But I don't think I ever heard him talk about the first part of the verse. And if I ever did read the first part of the verse, I didn't commit it to memory. And I certainly didn't think of it any time that Brother Hagin would say, the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. But that's another verse that the Lord gave me. Now, several months after that, maybe six months after that, I came to a place where I, uh, the, the schedule was such that I don't know if, don't remember exactly if I was going to be out of town or what was going on, but I had a stretch of time that I didn't have to study or prepare for services or do anything like that. And so I had decided that I was going to send, spend that time seeking the Lord, fasting, and opening myself to whatever God would have me to say concerning adjustments that I need to make, things that I'm not doing that I should be doing, and so forth. So I had kind of planned that, and I had talked to the Lord about it a little bit, but not, nothing other than him, me telling him what my plan was. And so when the time came, the, the day before this uh, break in my schedule was about to take place, I talked to the Lord formally about it. And I don't know if you know what I mean by that or not, but I, for the first time, I really talked to him about what I was going to do. And I just said, now, Lord, I've got some time coming up. You know, I've, uh, I've made these plans I'm going to spend some time fasting and praying to find out if there's anything that I need to be doing that I'm not doing. And instantly, suddenly, the Lord spoke to me. The Holy Ghost spoke to me and said, have faith in God. And it shook me. It came so strong that it just kind of shook me. And I, I, I spit and sputtered a little bit. And then I, I realized, well, if that's what God's telling me to do, what am I going to fast and pray about? I've got direction. In other words, it was God telling me, stick with what you're doing. Now, if I had, and I, I, I don't think it would have gone this far because it certainly wasn't my intent. But if you come to the place where you believe that you received something from the Lord and then you start fasting and praying to see if there's something else you need to do, you can't be in faith. Because the doubt would be the part where you don't know that maybe there's something you haven't done or something you are doing that you shouldn't do or whatever. That's doubt and unbelief. And the devil packages it so attractively. 
I have uh, a little bit of experience with some fasting over the last several years, and I've always found it to be a tremendous experience. Now, the reason that I found it to be a tremendous experience is because I've always done it inside the will of God. I've always looked to the Holy Ghost for my help, and as a result, here's the time that I fasted. The, the longest time that I ever went was about two and a half weeks. I got the answer that I was seeking, and even though I was still receiving some physical benefits in my body because of it, I just quit because I had my answer. So fasting's always been a, a, a pleasant experience for me when I do it by the Holy Ghost. Now, I've tried it without the help of the Holy Ghost, and I can usually make it to about noon of the first day. And it's remarkable to me the difference that it makes when you get God involved in something or when you're doing something inside the will of God. So here I am. I'm living on those scriptures that the Lord spoke to me, and I'm living on the scripture where he said, believe in God. I'm operating in faith and so forth. Now, as I said, part of the work of the Holy Ghost, Jesus said, is to bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. He'll guide you into all truth. He'll guide you into reality. Folks, I want to read you some scriptures. And, well, let me read a couple of them, and then we'll make our, our comments. Psalm 119, verse 89, it says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now, here's the thing that I want to get across to you, the thing that I want to bring out, and that is how many times should God have to say in the Bible that his word is true? I hope, I'm, I hope my point is sinking in. How many times should we recognize or look for or acknowledge in the Bible, how many times should he have to say, my word is true, you can count on me. Because if his word is true, then we can have constant faith in him. We can have absolute faith in him. We can be even as Hebrews chapter, two, or chapter 4 verse 2 where it says, We which have believed do enter into rest. If he can be counted on and if his word is true, we can enter into rest. We can avoid worry. We can put away doubt. We can put away the questions. We can put away everything that might hinder us. And we can simply accept his word to be true. Let me show you a couple others. And I assume that you know most of these. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Repent means to change. It means to turn around. God is not the son of man that he should repent or change. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? How many times would we expect God to have to tell us that? We want him to tell us all the time. We want to have a running conversation with God where God says, no matter what we're feeling, no matter what we're experiencing, don't worry, the word's true, you're on the right track, everything's going to be great. But you know as well as I do, that's not the way it works. So how many times should we have to have God tell us that he doesn't lie and he won't repent or change? Isaiah 55, verse 11. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, meaning void of power. But it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereunto I sent it. Now, folks, that verse of Scripture is telling us very clearly that when we speak the word back to him, it carries power. 
When he talks about his word not being void of power, he's talking about void of power when it's spoken back to him. We certainly know the word of God is not void of power when he speaks it. But here it's talking about it returning. So if it's returning to God, then it must be returning from somebody here on the earth that's speaking it. And that's what he said, that the word of God is not void of power. He's saying the word of God in your mouth carries plenty and enough power. And then he talks about what the word will accomplish. He said, it will accomplish that which I sent it to do. It shall accomplish that which I please. In other words, the will of God. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. Now remember, Jesus identified the kingdom of God as where the will of God is done on earth just like it is in heaven. We know there's no sickness in heaven. Nobody would even argue that. Nobody that believes anything about God or believes anything about the kingdom of heaven itself. Nobody would argue that there's sickness and disease there. Well, if sickness and disease is not in heaven, we have to ask, why is it not in heaven? Because God doesn't allow it. But God wants his kingdom here on the earth operating in and through us to be such that we experience and live in just exactly the same conditions here on the earth that we have in heaven. So if God's not for sickness in heaven, he can't be for sickness here on the earth. So when it says it will accomplish, his word is not void of power, but will accomplish that which he pleases. When we take the word of God that says Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we are healed. If we take that and speak that out of our mouth because we choose to believe it in our heart. God says that not only is it not void of power. In other words, not only does it carry power, but it accomplishes what it was intended to accomplish. Now, what is that? Healing for the physical body. There's only one reason the healing scriptures are in the Bible, folks, and that is because it's God's will to heal. There's only one reason that there are scriptures about peace in the Bible, and that is because God wants you to experience peace. There's only one reason that scriptures are in the Bible concerning finances or material possessions, and that is because God wants your life to flow with abundance here on the earth. And that's the power that he's talking about it accomplishing. That's the thing that he's saying, my word will accomplish that which I sent it to do. There is no other reason for God to speak what he has spoken about any of these areas, about healing for the physical body, about material provision and possessions, about peace. There's no reason whatsoever for God to speak these words except that he intend, or unless he intends, to bring it to pass in our lives through this thing called faith where we speak what he says. But how many times does he have to tell us that? How many times does he have to tell us about the word or the integrity of the word or the truth of the word? How many times should he have to tell us? Let's look at some more. There are a number of them. Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. He said, for I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. In other words, God's saying, because I have a covenant with your father Abraham. That's the only thing that's keeping you alive by virtue of the fact that I'm honoring my covenant because I don't change. He's telling Israel, you deserve to die. You deserve tragedy. You deserve destruction in your life because of the way that you turned against me. But because I don't lie, because I don't change, and I gave my word to Abraham who believed it and walked in it, that's the reason that you're not consumed. So what does he say? I am the Lord, I change not. How many times should he have to tell us that? 
Where's the magic number, folks? If he says it 50 times, does that 50th time make it real? Are we looking for him to, to just give us one more example? How often should we expect God to have to tell us? Let's look at some more. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. He's saying everything you see and know about this physical realm will come to an end, but my word will always stand. It will outlast anything and everything you see in this physical realm. James 1, verse 17. You'll know this one. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Now, I think it's unfortunate that the translators use some of these big words rather than using some simpler words if they were available. And I don't even know if they, if they would have been. But I think a lot of times we get tripped up by the verbiage. But it's very simply saying God is only good and he's always good. Every good gift comes down from above. There are no good things here on the earth apart from God. There are no good things that the devil can or will ever do. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 10 verse 10, The thief comes but for to kill, to steal, and to destroy. But I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So it's telling us that only good things come from God. Never any bad things. Never any of the tragedies or destruction uh, destructive things that so much of the church world blames on God. He's not the author behind it. He's not the one, the force behind those things. Because in him, there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Variableness means change. He's saying there's no way for God to ever change. There's no way that God can change. And in fact, he is so far away from changing in anything and everything that he said or done or promised that he will do, that you can't even find something that might cast a shadow to appear like that he's changed. I don't know about you, but I find comfort in these scriptures. But again, how many times should he have to tell us? How many times is it going to take for us to hear what he's saying and take hold of it and walk in it? Most healing ministry in the body of Christ today is, trying to, is where ministers are trying to talk people into accepting what Jesus did. And so we use scriptures like this. We use any and all of these scriptures that we can find to identify the goodness of God, to identify that his word never changes. But the reality is, that many times, at least if we're talking to Christians, many times Christians have become so ingrained in their own failures to make the word work for themselves in times past that it's few and far between that you can get somebody to believe. Most everybody that I've had, to, uh, had the privilege of dealing with outside of the church primarily have always come looking for God to do something so that they don't have to. But that's not how his word says that it works. It says without faith it's impossible to please God. Without faith it's impossible to receive from God. So what do we do? We try to talk most people into faith. Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 12. 
God speaking to Jeremiah, who he's shown a vision to, asking him about what something means. Jeremiah says, I don't know. But God says, I will hasten my word to perform it. One translation says, I will watch over my word to perform it. Now, I want you to, to look with me at this one, to this one, Psalm 138, verse 2. We refer to it a lot of times, but I want you to see where it is. This is a Psalm of David, and he says, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above thy name. Now, folks, let's talk about that for a minute. That last phrase, thou hast magnified your word above your name. Christians have been for centuries trying to argue stupid points about the power of God. For example, can God build a rock too big for him to lift? Now, that'll bring people into salvation overnight, won't it? How many angels can dance on the head of a pen? And these are so stupid things. And it shows a lack, a total lack of understanding of God's word. Because God's word makes it clear to us, this verse as well as others. The Bible makes it very clear to us that God has set boundaries upon himself according to the word of God. For example, nobody can be saved against their will. Is that because God doesn't have the power to save somebody against their will? Or because he said that the way to receive this work of grace, this act of grace called salvation, which encompasses and is all-inclusive of every part of your life, the Bible says that comes and can only come by faith. And faith won't work contrary to or apart from the will of man. So here where it says God has exalted his, name, his word above his name, it's saying there's no point in us trying to figure out what God's power will do. His power can do anything. What we have to look at is what the word says he will do. Or in Jesus' case, what he has done for us. That's what we have to build faith. Not some cockamamie story about, well, God is able. I've had people come in and say, well, God healed me when I was a child of this, that, and the other, and I know he can heal me again. Great. But where does that give you confidence that he will? It's not what he can do. It's what he said he will do. Faith begins where the will of God is known. If you don't know what God's will is in your situation, then you'll never be able to exercise faith or utilize faith to receive it. Last week, just as I was waking up, the Holy Ghost said something to me. He said this. He said, there is no question as to the truth of the Word of God. The only question is, will you enter into the fight? Now, I knew what fight he was talking about. Paul writing to the church, writing to Timothy, said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Now, eternal life there that he's talking to Timothy about can't be being born again. Timothy's been born again for many, many years. He turns out to be the pastor at the churches at, uh, at Ephesus, the most famous church, the most going church, the mega church of the church world in that day. He's not talking to, to Timothy and saying, get saved. He's saying the way we lay hold on all the blessings and all the benefits, all the things that Jesus provided for us through his sacrifice, you lay hold on those things by entering into the fight of faith. 
So, folks, I'm here to tell you the same thing he told me. There is no question as to the truth of God's word. The only question is, will we enter into the fight? But then here's the next thing that he said to me. There was a pause, and this time it came as words. I don't mean audible words, but words to my spirit. And then he said this. Remember the first part. There's no question about the truth or the power of God's word. The only question is, will you enter into the fight? And then he said this. And then the question becomes, how long will you stay in the fight? Proverbs chapter 24 is a verse of scripture that the Lord spoke to my heart many, many years ago, even before I went to Bible school. I didn't know it was there. I was not a student of the book of Proverbs. If I had ever read it, I, would, I certainly didn't commit it to memory. But the Lord said this to me when I was 23 or 4 years old. He quoted the scripture to me when I was in a particularly hard place. And he said this. He said, if you faint, the verse of scripture says this. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Now, folks, what's the day of adversity? Oh, but that would have been a 24-hour period. See, if day of adversity means 24 hours, just about anybody can make it through that. But what about you? What's your limit? Where do you begin to faint? After a month? After a year of adversity? After a couple of years of adversity? After eight years of adversity? If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Now, folks, I don't know that I've ever had a verse of Scripture challenge me like that one does. Every time I think about it, every time I remember the circumstance that I was in and that the Lord spoke it to me, it challenges me. It's God saying, you know you can't give up. No matter how long it's been, no matter how difficult it seems, no matter how much you'd like for it to be different, you can't give up. You just can't give up. Another verse of scripture that the Lord spoke to me while I was in Bible school in a day of adversity. He quoted to me 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 24. Now in the King James it says this. It says, faithful is he that calleth you who will also do it. But the Lord quoted it to me in a different way. He said it to me, and again, this was just as I was waking up in the morning. Faithful is he who called you who will also bring it to pass. Well, doing it would be bringing it to pass, wouldn't it? What's your day of adversity? And how are you going to handle it? God never changes. He can't lie. His word is true. And as far as I'm concerned, he said it enough for me to take it. How about you? God's word is true, folks. It's more true and it's more real than the circumstances and the emotions that those circumstances bring. It's more true and it's more real than this life that we live in, in and see and feel. 
The Bible tells us, Paul told us, that we should live not according to the things that we see, but according to the things that we can't see. Well, if you can't see them, how can you live by them? Or how can you know what they are? That's the whole purpose of the Word of God. For us to learn how God sees things, learn God's will, so that we can extend our faith to take hold of it. And then once we extend our faith to take hold of it, never, ever, ever, ever quit. Brother Hagin said something one time just as a side remark that really challenged me as well. He was talking about a situation that, uh, that he was impressed of the Lord to, to speak over in ministering to somebody else. And there was a certain period of time that had gone by and it looked like it wasn't working and wasn't going to work. And Brother Hagin just said this. And it was a real casual conversation. He didn't intend, I don't think, to be speaking by the Spirit of God to me or anybody else that I would expect. But he said this. He said, once the words of faith are spoken, I'll never turn back. And that's as real to me, that's as powerful to me as some of the scriptures that the Holy Ghost has brought to me. Now, whether or not he knew what he was saying or who he was saying it to or for, that was for me. Once the word of faith is spoken, I'll never turn back. And we shouldn't have to, folks, because God's word is true. God said, he that believeth on me shall never be ashamed. Shall never be ashamed. Well, the only thing that would bring shame is if God's word didn't produce, wouldn't it? But since he watches over his word to perform it, he always comes through. God's word is true. Whatever you need from God, find the scripture that promises it to you and take hold of it by faith and never look back. You remember the parable that Jesus told us in Mark chapter 4 about the sower sowing the word? There are four different types of ground where the, where the word was sown. Different results take place based on the ground but the seed is just as strong on the wayside as it was in the good ground the problem is never with the seed and the word of God is the seed the problem is never with the seed the only problem there is the only difference between the types of ground is the attendant the attendance that we give to the word of God it's our attitude toward the word. It's our willingness to take hold of the word, to believe it and to profess it. That's what turns us into or from stony ground or thorny ground into good ground. And what does the parable tell us that people turn loose for? Adversity. Difficulties, circumstances. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. I declare that my strength is not small and that God will see me through. What do you believe? It comes down to what you believe, folks. I will agree with you, but, what it, but it depends more on what you believe and what you say than even our prayer of agreement. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Thank God he performs his word. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we worship you and we magnify your holy name. We thank you for your goodness and mercy. I thank you, Father, for all the things that you've spoken to my heart as the Holy Spirit guides me into the reality of healing. And I thank you, Father, that you're no respecter of persons, that you'll speak to each and every one of us as needed when we extend our faith toward you. 
Holy Spirit, we count on you to be our helper. We rely on you to be our helper. Help us by guiding us into the reality of healing. Help us by guiding us into the reality of provision. Help us by guiding us into the truth of God's will for our lives. And we commit to you, Father, that once the words of faith are spoken, we shall never, ever, ever turn back. So we can say with confidence now, by faith, the victory is ours. We declare by faith our boast in the Lord that there's nothing the devil can do. He's not strong enough to keep your word from being a reality in us. Satan, we serve notice on you. Try as you may. Use whatever circumstances or emotions that you have available to you. We will never turn back from the truth of God's word. And we say that the word of God shall prevail in our lives and in our bodies. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Did you believe that? Do you agree with that prayer? Then there's nothing the devil can do to defeat you, folks. At the very least, you can outlast him. And the word of God always outlasts the devil. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.